Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Good morning. Thank you for responding to God's call and worship this morning. It is truly a calling. Sometimes we think that we just came to church because we woke up and got ready in time and felt like it. But that's not really what calls us into being. It's not us primarily. It is God. And it is God not just on Sundays, but every single day that we are called to respond to God's voice and God's movement and God's revelation in the world. So with that, let's jump straight into our scripture passage. We're coming in at Luke 6, verses 27 through 36. Now, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you will have noticed that we have been going through the book of Luke, examining how God, through the work of Jesus Christ, called people in first century Palestine and how God calls us today to respond to the spirit and to the kingdom that is breaking into the world. Last week... We were talking about the, um, the blessings and the woes, which, you know, is equally as uplifting and a little depressing at the same time. So just as Jesus comes out of teaching about the blessings and the woes, Jesus goes into our scripture passage for today. So he's just been saying to people, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Woe for those who want to uh, be, be uh, liked by everybody who want to be popular over being true. Right after that, he jumps into this. We're picking up at verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect Repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful." Friends, if you will, bow your hearts and your minds with me as we pray over this scripture. God, as we open ourselves up to you in whole today, we pray that your spirit will fill us from the bottom of the feet to the tops of our heads, and that your spirit here will fill this room, consuming it, pressing as it fills, pressing out to all of the anxieties and the worries that we brought in here, all of the fears and the distractions that wrestle our attention away from us. God, focus us on being people who hear your truth, even when it is unspoken imperfectly, 
even when we aren't listening well. May your truth be the thing that imprints upon our hearts so that we might shine it out to all whom we meet today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My friends, chances are that even if you haven't been around the church for a while and you're not super savvy with the Bible, chances are that there is a part of our scripture for this morning that you have heard somewhere before. Any takers willing to guess of what passage I'm thinking of? You can just call it out. I hear muttering. What is it? There's one passage in here that we hear all the time. Yes, so apparently there's many passages that we in here <laughs> hear all the time. What I'm thinking of is something called the golden rule. Anyone hear the golden rule before? Yeah, I see. She knew all along. Uh, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. As in the rule, it's called the golden rule because it is supposed to be the rule that encompasses all other rules of living. You don't want someone to lie to you then you don't lie to other people. You don't want someone to steal from you, then you don't steal. You don't want someone to bully you, then don't be a bully. We learn it first in kindergarten before we teach it to our own children and then down in line to our grandchildren. And it's a really good rule. It is an excellent rule to live by. But all too often, we will pull this golden rule away from the rest of the scriptures and we'll stand it up on its own as a miniature Bible unto itself, as though the golden rule in a singular way will be the thing that paves the clear path for us to God's kingdom. I hear this kind of reasoning a lot, uh, particularly as a pastor. It usually happens when I'm in conversations with strangers who find out a few curse words too late that they are talking to a minister. In response, that often causes them to unnecessarily feel the need to defend themselves, which usually leads them to say something like this as penance for their choice language. They usually say something like, well, you know, I don't go to church or read my Bible or pray very often, but I try to be a good person. You know, I try to treat others as I want to be treated. And then they feel better, and I usually smile. And don't get me wrong. It's a really good way to live. It's not a bad way to live at all. But in the Christian life, the golden rule is no journey unto itself. My friends, the golden rule is not our golden ticket. And we know that largely because of the verses that surround this golden rule in Scripture. Before this, Jesus was saying, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you. Give to everyone who asks of you and do not demand anything back. Only then do to others as you would have them do unto you. I think what Jesus is highlighting here is this. It's one thing to follow the golden rule when you are the one with the equal or the upper hand. When you are the one who is setting the tone for the interaction that you are about to have with others, or when you are the one who feels like you are in control. They need to adjust my mic, and we're going to use this one instead. That is fine. Can you hear me? Yay. Is this so much better? 
I'm usually pretty loud, so I just figured they turned it down because I was being a loud mouth. But you weren't. Okay, good. I'm getting the thumbs, thumbs up from Bong. This also means I, ha I can't flap around as much. Um, where were we? Jesus was highlighting something. It's not just about being in control, is it? The Spirit's funny sometimes. It's another thing to follow the golden rule when you are first the recipient of violence and injustice. When you are the one who has been beaten and robbed and belittled and undermined and humiliated to then treat others as you would have them treat you, the ones who abused you, to treat them with the kindness that they should have shown you and never did. That scenario is the scenery that is surrounding the golden rule. We are taught that the golden rule is simple, and you know what, my friends, it is simple, but it's not easy. And it's not only applicable when we have control over the situation that we find ourselves in. In fact, according to scripture, the golden rule is first applicable when we are in situations that we are out of control of, when we are in those situations that are crushing us. Of course, acting with kindness in the face of cruelty, being asked to act with kindness in the face of cruelty, opens up a whole other can of worms for us as humans, am I right? Because we all know that bullies only respond to strength. Because we don't want to be perceived as weak and feckless. Because to be gentle in response to evil makes us feel like we are giving permission for evil to do what evil does. Like we are trading in our courage for cowardice. Like we are abandoning the peace and the justice and the hope that Jesus tells us to live by and instead allowing evil to win. Sometimes it feels like responding with gentleness forces us to abandon our virtue simultaneously. And so we hesitate to turn the other cheek, to give more of what is demanded of us, or to return hate with love. There's a commentator named Walter Wink. He's a well-known New Testament scholar, and he has an interesting perspective on our scripture for today. He starts with the example of someone slapping you on the cheek. Wink points out that in Jesus' day, people exclusively used their right hand in dealing with other people because the left hand was used for bathroom duties. That's still true in some countries today. So even no matter how much you hated someone, no matter how much you wanted to disrespect them, you don't use your left hand, you only use your right he also points out that there's an honor code to slapping people back in Jesus' time. An open-handed slap is for people that you see as your equal, which we're not even going to get into why you're slapping people that you see as your equal. Whereas a backhanded slap is for those people that you view as inferior. So I want you to play this scenario out with me, okay? If someone is setting out to slap you, they probably think they're better than you are. 
So there might, there's a good, at least a 50-50 chance, they're going to slap you with the back of their hands. So if you respond by turning your face away from them to slap you again, how must they slap you? With your open hand. You're challenging them to use their open hand and at least slap you like an equal. In other words, even after being hit in the face, turning the cheek would be the way to at least turn the table. Isn't that incredible? I don't know if this was all that Jesus was thinking about, but I think that being bold enough to endure the pain of being slapped again, having just been slapped once, I don't really think that that is anything that's weak. I think that that's bold, and I think that that definitely reveals the absurdity of violence. It doesn't sound weak to me. Does it sound weak to you to turn the other cheek in today's scenario? Say no. Thank you. Wink gives another example after that. He says, Jesus says, if you take someone's, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. And after that saying, and that saying has remained even to today, when does someone take the shirt off of our backs? When do we say that? When we, do we have a lot of money to give them if we're giving them the shirt off our back? No. Again, the answer is no. We're going to get there. It's okay. Focus. We give the shirt off of our back when we have absolutely nothing else to give, when we are fully in debt. And that was the meaning back then as well. This is a very old saying. And so in first century Palestine, you would give off the clothes of your back when you have nothing else to pay. But there's a really strict rule about giving the shirt off your back. No one could leave a debtor naked at sundown, no matter what was owed. That was a law. No one could leave a debtor naked at sundown, no matter what was owed. So if someone comes to collect their debt from you by taking your coat and you give them your shirt also, all of a sudden, your generosity has you playing outside of their rules, portraying a very different kind of reality, a kingdom reality that shines their need to have your coat in a new light, in a greedy light in a self-serving light. Isn't that an amazing contrast? That this reckless generosity has the ability to reveal greed for what it is. That doesn't sound so feckless to me. That, in turn, sounds downright bold. We struggle with this passage of Scripture about loving our enemies, I think, because so often we fear that in showing love to those whom we hate, we are conceding our dignity as humans and as Christians. But I think that what Jesus is saying here is that the gospel truth of love and of hope and of peace and of justice, the gospel truth is 100% incompatible with violence and oppression and greed and self-righteousness on both sides. Never are those things justified in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Both on the side of the oppressor and the side of the oppressed, the gospel is incompatible with violence, greed, and injustice. I think that Jesus is saying that people can only witness the gospel truth. People can only glimpse the kingdom of God when someone puts a stop 
to the ruling of violence and dysfunction in our society and in our world. And he is acknowledging here that the oppressor is never going to be the one who stops first, ever. You know, the thing is, we have really good public examples of how this works. And I remember the name of the minister in Atlanta who a couple of decades ago figured this out. Martin Luther King Jr., I'll give you the answer. I know you're a little sleepy today. Now, maybe you're thinking this. Well, I don't have anyone who beats me. And I'm not in debt to anyone. And I don't experience this kind of violence or dysfunction from anyone in my life, really. I never have to turn the other cheek. I don't really have anyone that I hate. Maybe that's you today. And if that is you then I just want you to challenge yourself on that a little bit. This kind of dysfunction of violence and injustice and pain, it comes in many forms. And it's not just the obvious outright ones that are so damaging. How many of you have ever been belittled by someone, a boss or someone that you know? Raise your hand. That's a derivative of pain and oppression. How many of you have ever felt dismissed by someone that you really needed help from? That's a derivative of dysfunction. How many of you continually clash with a colleague or a fellow volunteer, another church member? <laughs> That's a derivative of violence. How many of you stay quiet about your faith because you feel like you have to apologize for the sometimes hurtful behavior of other Christians because you don't want to be affiliated by the pain that other Christians cause in the world? That's a derivative of dysfunction. The truth is that substance and shape and the content and the strength of our faith as Christians is not always worked out with the slapping the other cheek and giving the coats off of our backs. Instead, it is worked out in the quiet and unseen and easily dismissed moments of our lives, the ones that we think don't matter. And that is what Jesus is saying here. Rather than confronting those violent and dysfunctional moments, with an equally dysfunctional or violent response, with belittling or dismissal or demeaning equal to what we are experiencing, we as Christians have to learn to confront boldly with gentleness and generosity and love. My friends, it's simple, but it's not easy. So this week, I want us to challenge ourselves to identify those places where we want to run away, where we want to scream, where we want to meet people with the violence that they deserve. And I want to see if we can stop ourselves and do something else. The truth is, friends, we are not always the ones who are on the receiving side of dysfunction and oppression and pain. Sometimes we are the ones who dole it out. Sometimes we are the ones who justify our violent behavior against others because, well, if you knew the person, you would justify it too. Not everyone's easy to get along with. But the biggest change we can make in exhibiting our faith is in that tiny moment, that micro-choice to not be the oppressor, but to respond with gentleness and generosity and love. Friends, this week, as we go out into the world, in the times that you're tempted to either run away, lash back, or lash out, 
May we be the people who remember, remember the kingdom truth. That it is not true that violence is the ultimate ruler. Love is the ultimate ruler. It's not true that oppression is going to be the way that manipulates the world into reflecting the values that we have. Love is going to be what moves this world into reflecting the values that we have. If you will, let's take a minute to reflect on this. Let me close us in prayer. God of hope and God of light, sometimes we are the oppressors. Sometimes we are the ones who bring pain into the world, thinking that we are standing for justice by being violent, but instead we are just perpetuating violence. And sometimes, Lord, we are the downtrodden, the rejected, the neglected, God, please mold in us that spirit that values your kingdom values over all else, your gentleness, your love, your vision of a kingdom that does not at all look like this world that we are currently living in, and yet even now is breaking on through. May we be your friends and your children in breaking through with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.